She tried not to look, but sometimes, as her gaze swept across the crowd, her eyes snagged on his the way a jutting nail catches the hem of your cloak. The look on his face was one she recognized from seven years past. His eyes crackled with lightning, like a summer storm. She dared not admit this, even to herself, but there was perhaps some small amount of pleasure in seeing the way she held him snared, even after all this time. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode. If you aren't caught up yet, I will have a link to the full playlist down in the video description, so make sure to check that out. Question of the week, what is your favorite classic novel? And when I say classic, I mean maybe anything written from the beginning of time up to like 1950, 1960 era, not Twilight, okay? You already know that I have my answer locked and loaded, but I wanna hear yours down in the comments. All right, onto the good stuff. I'm Josh Call, and this is Last Coliseum. What? Uh, yes, it was one of mine. I wrote it for an old friend. The tap room had slowly emptied in the last hour or so. By now, it was only Lady Moonrise left at the bar, along with a dogged handful of hangers-on looking to ply her with drinks and questions and praise for her playing. The praise she took in stride. The questions she answered automatically, almost without hearing. One drunken well-wisher was the same as another. They all asked the same dozen or so stock questions for which she'd developed a dozen or so stock answers over the long years. It was a tedious game, but one never knew which music-drunk richling might make her an offer of patronage. Most just begged her for marriage or a romp. And even if she hadn't found a sponsor yet, the coin was good. For every overpriced cup of water that Lady Moonrise pretended was wine, she split the take down the middle with the barkeep. For that, she could endure a few minutes of dry conversation as his lordship's face gradually reddened and perhaps fend off the occasional hand on her knee. She hadn't yet decided which box the sir sitting on the stool beside her fit into. He was certainly rich. She'd have been pissed drunk by now if Finch hadn't been serving her water all night. His half-dozen high-born friends had grown steadily louder and redder since she'd sat down. They all lounged at the bar and the little tables nearby, one of them warbling an off-key chorus of a song she'd played tonight. No, I've never been there, but I've been meaning to go. I hear it's lovely. If she was honest, her mind wasn't all there. She'd been preoccupied for days. And so, as the sir's speech started to slur, Amethyst's thoughts drifted away from him and his friends and to the man she'd once grieved. They hadn't spoken since that first night, when he ambushed her in her room, when he shouldered his way back into her life after she'd tried hard to bar the door. It wasn't fair. She'd woken up the next morning with a headache and a half-finished letter. She confronted Berta, demanding that she and Finch clear the bastard out. The tap mistress had been sympathetic but unyielding. If you like, we can put you in a different room, was the best she could offer. I'm sorry, Em. He's got friends in high places. So did she. But her highest place friend was hunting bandits out west. He told her to leave town, and at the time she'd taken him seriously, but by the light of morning, and not under the sway of several fingers of brandy, she was more indignant at the suggestion that she go than she was afraid of whatever danger the brawler brought with him. This was her life he was talking about. She couldn't just interrupt everything on a whim, least of all a whim not her own. She'd been avoiding him since. Sometimes she heard him moving around in his room or the creak of a floorboard in the hall. On those rare moments when they crossed one another on the stairs, they avoided each other's eyes. The one time he couldn't be dodged was when she played the tap room. 
He had his favored corner far from the light of the stage and the foot traffic near the door, where he sat with his hood up and listened, sometimes for hours. She tried not to look, but sometimes, as her gaze swept across the crowd, her eyes snagged on his the way a jutting nail catches the hem of your cloak. The look on his face was one she recognized from seven years past. His eyes crackled with lightning, like a summer storm. She dared not admit this, even to herself, but there was perhaps some small amount of pleasure in seeing the way she held him snared, even after all this time. Most of my life, yes, she heard herself say. My troop came when I was a girl. They left after a turn, but I... The door swung wide and her voice stopped dead. As if drawn up from the depths by her own idle thoughts, framed against the black night, the man himself shuffled through the doorway, his head bowed low. His battered face, which had been almost unrecognizable on that first night, had returned to its familiar shape in the days since. There was still a green shadow of a bruise below his eye, and black scabs slivering his lip. He hadn't cut his beard, his cheeks bristled with copper wires. He'd always drawn stares wherever he went, what with his broad frame and his face forever half-healed from the last bout, all the more so among the fine clothes and smooth-shaved faces of the Golden Quarter. Several of the courtiers who'd noticed his entrance watched him shuffle over to the bar and order his whiskey, ignoring the rest. She realized she'd trailed off mid-sentence. I fell in love with the city, so I decided to stay, she finished, color rising to her cheeks. The sir leaned forward and laid his own well-manicured hand over hers. She's a beautiful city, isn't she? He rubbed his thumb against the back of her hand. She heard a scoff from down the bar. If you've never been west of Cliffside... The brawler slurred under his breath. A slight frown flickered across the knight's features. Was that... was that to me? Ignore him, Amethyst told the sir. Like I was saying, there's plenty of ugly in this city, came Haytham's low reply. Her jaw tightened. I'm not sure Sir Bryn was saying that there isn't, she said stiffly. Haytham looked up from his folded hands and ran her through with his heavy gray gaze. His lined face was expressionless, but she thought she saw a hint of jealousy hiding there behind his resting scowl. Bryn cocked an eyebrow at Amatha and bobbed his head toward the newcomer. Friend of yours, she blinked. Forgive me, she replied, standing up and slipping her hand out from under his. This is my old friend Haytham, but perhaps you'd know him better as... Just Haytham, the reaper interjected. He looked at Am and shook his head minutely. Charmed. The sir murmured, extending a hand to shake. And you're very right, he nodded, totally oblivious to his being insulted. Wherever men gather en masse, we see their worst excesses play out between them. I think it was Cartissimus who said she didn't need her old talent for reading him to know that the brawler had stopped listening. Finch had just poured three fingers of whiskey into his tumbler. Haytham scooped the glass off the counter and drained half of it at a draft. Every eye was on the brawler. One of Bryn's flush-faced courtiers clapped a hand on Haytham's shoulder. The brawler stiffened. What happened to your face, man? slurred the courtier. Pit fight, suggested one of the others. Mugged. The sir and his fellows all traded glances, their looks of surprise and concern exaggerated by drink. Like you said, sir, he told Bryn, his face inscrutable. Men's excesses. The sir leaned in. Where were you? He was the least drunk of all of them by Amatha's reckoning, though not by any great stretch. He glanced over his shoulder. His sword belt lay discarded on one of the tables nearby. Nowhere good, 
the brawler grunted. He didn't elaborate. I've been thinking about traveling, Amatha announced, drawing the sir's attention away from Haytham. It's been a dream of mine to see the whole Dominion. Well, you must visit the ice gates, Bryn replied, returning easily to their earlier conversation. If you can bear the cold, they're a marvel of engineering. She watched Haytham out of the corner of her eye. The drunken courtier was still at the brawler's shoulder, eyeing him curiously. Am could practically smell the whiskey on his breath, even from ten feet away. Say, don't I know you? Don't think so, Haytham muttered without looking at him. The courtier scratched his chin. No, sure I do. Have you ever been to Honey Hill? Haytham glowered into his whiskey, saying nothing. I swear I've seen your face someplace. That's enough, Amethyst said under her breath. The sir turned back. Let him alone, Audrey. He's not looking for a tumble. The courtier's face flushed as the others cackled and pulled him back to their table. Sir Bryn turned toward Amatha, a rueful smile playing across his cheeks. Apologies, lady, he winked. Can't take the lads anywhere. They spoke for another few minutes. Amatha found that her gaze kept flitting back to Haytham at the end of the bar. He hadn't looked up from his drink. He slung back the rest of his whiskey and held up two fingers to Finch. The barkeep scurried over to refill his tumbler, and Haytham's hand thumped down on the counter. His callous knuckles were scabbed black. She wasn't the only one who saw. Audrey's ruddy face broke into a wide grin. I knew I knew you. He swaggered over and seized Haytham's forearm. You're a pit fighter, aren't you? Haytham whipped around. I said you don't know me. He punctuated this by ramming the butt of his palm into the center of the courtier's chest. Audrey stumbled back and tripped over a chair. His tankard went flying and clattered across the floor. Immediately, the others were all on their feet. Bryn pushed through to the middle of their semicircle. Audrey came up behind him, his doublet splattered with froth. He ripped a dirk from its sheath and snarled, I could have you flogged for that. The fiddler leapt to her feet. The handful of patrons who weren't among the sir's retinue gave shouts of surprise and scrambled back from the fray. Two of them scooped up their things and scurried out of the taproom, taking care to give Haytham a wide berth on their way out. The brawler looked like a cornered animal, his teeth bared, his knees slightly bent. Besides Audrey, the others hadn't drawn steel, but their hands hovered close to the blades on their belts. Amethyst slipped between the courtiers and interposed herself between the sir and the brawler. Enough of this! She had one hand out to each of them. Both were red-faced and scowling, each glaring death at the other. We've all been drinking, the fiddler said. Let's not do something we'll regret. To the mead-soaked courtier, she added, Are you all right, sir? Audrey reluctantly tore his gaze away from the brawler, still glowering, and nodded. There, muttered Amatha, as if that settled it. Now, why don't I buy you all another round, and we let bygones be? Her gaze flicked to Finch, who stood stricken behind the bar, his arms akimbo. Get us another bottle, would you? She looked at the sir. His teeth were clenched, a vein in his temple throbbed. She knew that if it weren't for his trying to impress Lady Moonrise, they'd have all been in the streets, settling their dispute like dogs fighting over a scrap of gristle. Finally, he nodded. Aye. He jerked his head to the bar, where Finch had just thumped down an amber bottle and twisted free the cork. His men somewhat begrudgingly gave their backs to Haytham. Except you, Audrey. The sir told him as the courtier stowed his dirk. You've had enough for one night. Audrey grumbled, shooting an acid look at the fiddler as he followed the others to the bar. Anne glanced back at the brawler. She saw the swirl of his cloak as he disappeared up the stairs. Take it out of my pay, Finch. She heard herself say and started up after him, the chatter of the courtiers echoing in her wake. 
She caught him at the top of the stairs. What in hell was that? He didn't look back. Leave it alone, Am. He unlocked the door across from hers and pushed it open. She followed him down the hall. It's not enough for you to bull your way back in here? Her voice shook. She was practically shouting, You have to pick fights in my tavern. He hesitated. A muscle in his jaw twitched. His gray eyes met hers for half an instant. I'll leave tomorrow, he grunted. He swept into his room. Don't just walk away from me, the door slammed shut. She almost charged in after him, but caught herself. She'd loved him once, aye, but behind those familiar iron eyes, he was a stranger, and he was waist deep in his cups. And he said he'd go. That was what she'd wanted, wasn't it? Amatha had spent years building her neat little life here, making her name and spinning her song. And along came Haytham, back from the dead, to smash all that to flinders. Good riddance. She leaned back and tipped her head up against the wall. A wave of lethargy swept through her. Her arms felt weighted down with bricks. She knew she ought to go back down and make her profuse apology for her old friend's brutishness. If there was any hope at all of recovering her chances at patronage with the Sir, that is. And she'd left her fiddle under the bar. She pushed herself off the wall and turned toward the stairs. His door opened. Her back was to him. She felt his gaze hold steady on her as she reached the end of the hall. You said you'd leave. Am paused with one hand on the railing. Not sure how I can afford to leave with you picking fights with my sponsors, she muttered. She didn't look back, but neither did she start down the stairs. He wasn't going to be your sponsor. Now she did look back. And how do you know that? He hadn't moved from the doorway. He'd stripped off his old cloak. He looked somehow less dangerous without it, like the old Haytham. She fought hard to keep those memories at bay, the old Haytham. The love notes they'd traded under aliases, their furtive meetings by candlelight, the first time he'd loved her under a moonless sky. I saw the way he looked at you, Haytham murmured. How's that? He didn't answer. He didn't need to. It was the same way he was looking at her right now. Those brooding features were only a little less legible to her now than before, like a familiar sign weathered by age and the elements. She could guess at the parts that had faded with time, and she remembered that look well, like earth and heaven both began and ended with its object. For half an instant, she forgot about everything else. It was that look by which he'd robbed her of her heart all those years ago. He hadn't been the last to give it, nor the first. Indeed, it was the other one who'd held her attention once, which had made such a mess of things for a time. But she'd learned well and learned hard. When Haytham set his eyes on something, the very angels of heaven couldn't stop him. She didn't blink. She gripped the railing on the stairs with one hand like a lifeline. Empires rose and fell in that moment while he held her gaze. His eyes dropped. I'm sorry for that. He flicked his wrist toward the stairs, the floor, the tap room some four stories down. His head bowed. He retreated into his room. I can look after myself, you know. She thought she saw a hint of color rise to his cheeks. I know. Did it before I knew you and I did it after? I know. She could tell there was more he wanted to say. He stood there for a last long moment with one hand on the door, but he either lost his nerve or he lacked the words to say it. He bade her a good night and disappeared into his room. She didn't go back down. Aye, it likely meant a broken bridge with Sir Bryn and his merry men, but Cliffside was bursting with minor lords and second sons who she could snare with a few bats of her eyes. 
And as much as she hated to admit it, Haytham was probably right about the drunken sir. She made a beeline for the brandy bottle in the bottom drawer of her desk and took a long pull straight from the neck. It helped to soften the edges of her thoughts as she finally slammed shut the door of her memories and threw down the crossbar. The next dawn, her fiddle case was waiting for her outside her door, in the little velvet compartment under the neck, a purse heavy with half the take from all those half-crown-a-glass cups of water. She smothered a grin and added them to the lockbox under her floorboard. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe and the notification bell. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a five-star review. It really helps this story to reach more people. I remember I read East of Eden by John Steinbeck a couple of years ago, and I was absolutely blown away by it. The entire book is both semi-autobiographical about his family growing up in the Salinas Valley, but it's also an allegory for the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. It is crazy, especially if you know your Bible history. So I highly recommend it if you haven't read it. If you have, let me know what you think down in the comments and I will catch you guys next week.